Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me, your host here on a podcast devoted to founders, startups, entrepreneurs, and the VCs, angels, family offices, and investment firms that work so closely with them. Uh, remember, you can find us, find this podcast on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Audible, Amazon. We'd love it if you'd leave us a, a good rating. Uh, most of all, we'd love it if you would subscribe. We're also on YouTube for full motion video, what little motion there is in these podcasts. And um, today, oh, I should also remind you, at Michael Conniff is my Twitter handle, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-N-N-I-F-F, -F, and also go to michaelconniff.com, the website, for all kinds of my writings, my uh, podcasts, um, lots and lots of stuff there to keep you occupied. Today, we are joined by Brandon Shelton. He is the founder and managing partner of TFX Capital. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Uh, uh, Brandon, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. So you are a veteran, and that is um, absolutely germane to this conversation because you are very focused on backing veteran in their startup, veterans in their startups and in their companies. I, I know you're uh, were a, a ranger, infantryman. Uh, intelligence officer yourself, so certainly you come by it honestly, but what is it about veterans that makes sense from a financial perspective for your company? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, just for, it's a it's a nuanced uh, clarification inside the military circles, but I'm Ranger qualified. I, would, I did not serve in Ranger Regiment, but uh, yeah, so for us, uh, I love that you're asking the question, which is why I wanted to come on the podcast, is that the more we can even evangelize this uh, category of leader to the investment community, the better. So um, you should not invest in a veteran because you feel bad or thank you for your service or because they tell cool stories or whatever it may be. You should invest in a high performing form of military leader because fundamentally they've done something harder than this startup. And I think that resiliency framework, that reference points really, really important. Having done this for seven years, I don't want you to learn two things inside the confines of a chaotic, pressurized and, and startup. Number one, um, I don't want you to learn um, that, okay, my corporate processes or what I thought was going to happen um, is not there. What I mean by that is we see a lot of folks who come straight off active duty with no, corp no, no, no commercial experience whatsoever, and they're trying to adjust um, and learn within the confines of a highly erratic environment. Or number two, they're a corporate executive, veteran or not, and they've always, uh, they're drawn to the innovation, the speed, the agility, you know, what looks like on the surface, uh, slick and fast moving. Um, when they come inside and they realize, oh, I have to wear 17 hats, the, what, what I was working on in the morning um, evaporates by the afternoon, whatever it may be. Um, I don't want you to learn those two things uh, with inside of this startup. The second thing I don't want you to learn is, um, I don't want you to learn that, hey, ooh, when I'm under high, high duress, which you are guaranteed, good economy or bad, pandemic or no pandemic, if you are a venture-backed software company, the volume of failure that you will encounter in the first 12 to 24 months is enormous. It could surpass the totality of your career to date just in within that small period of time. I need, to know, I need you to know that you can withstand it, figure it out, process it, uh, be stoic. Uh, uh, make four decisions. What are the facts? Work the problem. There, there's two. Re there, there's two kind of outputs that we look for uh, with our types of these type of founders. Number one, you'll inspire confidence with your teammates. 
your co-founders, your part-time folks, your full-time folks, your offshore engineering firm, your advisors, the, the coterie, uh, uh, you know, the, the ragtag band that represents an early stage startup. I think number two is, is that the quality of decision will probably, not always, probably be higher than otherwise. So I have five decisions to make. I have time and money and resource for one. Which one do you select? Knowing you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And so this is what we believe uh, underpins the high, high failure rates between the 12 and 20 month mark of a venture backed software startup. Um, there's a very special component of that window of time for an individual, no matter if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s. A lot of our founders are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, and so I need you to know that. I need to know that, hey, your hardest day uh, on that day, you you learned a lot. And, it, and, and so when the times get tough multiple times a week, a quarter, a year within your startup, you're fine. Um, and then number two is, is I don't want you to feel like your small team tactics, your leadership with small team folks, um, you know, are, are not applicable. Um, so if you've never worked in a, in a small unit like the military, four person, eight person, 10 person team, which you're guaranteed to have worked on in most of the earlier phases of your career, whether you're enlisted or officer between the ages 18 and 25, there's a room for that leadership style, that communication style within the early days of your, your startup company. I want to talk about leadership, but first let me ask about this very interest no, interesting notion of enhanced decision-making. What is it about having been in the military and in the founders that you've seen and in, in, in your own experience that that make the decision-making different and you would argue better? What what What's the secret sauce here? Yeah, there's a couple of things. We studied often. We have to explain this to Michael, to non-affiliated, non-connected, uh, non-connected uh, folks in the investment community. So the vast majority of asset allocators and those in venture do not come from the military. So the civil military divide statistically is known to be wider in the venture capital uh, arena. We've worked with the National Venture Capital Association since 2016 to add a veteran question into the human capital survey. But there's a couple of components on your decision making. Again, I'm not saying all veterans are going to be great business people or are going to be great um, uh, founders. But what I'm saying is from a talent pool standpoint, and if you believe the vast majority of the peril, friction, noise coming from an early stage startup are people related, that's what we think, um, then I would, I would want to select from this talent pool now to, your question, to the answer to your question. Number one is a lot of people don't realize this, but most folks enter the military between ages 18 and 25. So that's really important because um, that period of time you are still um but you're still in a developmental stage from a cognitive function if you want to study the brain and growth and everything else you're still coachable is what we would say and if you're 18 or 19 years old and you're put in charge of four other human beings 24 7 if they miss a dental appointment they uh, get into a fender bender um well do they perform a task you know all and you are accountable for all of their behaviors on duty and off duty very different than the civilian world you would never really probe what somebody did on the weekend or their personal lives or anything else. But when you are that young, you know, as a, as a young enlisted team leader, that it, it heightens and accelerates the people management accountability. I think number two is, is that from a, um, being pressurized and tested, that is ultimately what the most of the folks in the military do. Every day practice to go do the thing over and over and over and over again. So, I mean, I remember as a junior officer, you know, I fought very hard to get to the unit that I, I got to. And I'll never forget, we were on a training mission, very expensive training mission, very complex uh, in a foreign country. We had parachuted in, 
again, not, not real simulated combat. He was, you know, training and at two o'clock in the morning, um, they arbitrarily killed my commander and said, you're now in charge. Mm. You, no. you mean, you mean that pre is, pretend, it, pretend killed, <laughs> pretend, well, pretend killed, but like, you yeah. know, right. So we don't, we don't in corporate America and um, we don't really afford the opportunity to try that out. Ooh, for this particular week, Michael, you're not, you are not here. Let's see what your subordinates do. We yeah. don't ever do that. That is done at scale and has been done for well over a hundred and something years in the Western military. So think of Australia, UK, Canada, US and others. Why it is to pressure test leaders? How do you lead? I'm going to change the circumstances. Okay, we were going to go do X, Y, Z. We've been talking about it for two months. It's the day on purpose. I'm going to change the variables and see how you react. Mm -hmm. And then what is also missing in corporate America, and we, we, we stress this within our portfolio companies is after action reviews, hot washes, very deliberate space and time after event happens to do a postmortem. And it's blunt. We just did ours today for the quarter we just finished. Wins misses. What happened? Where'd you fail? I'm just saying that, that 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 type of accountability on the far side, the open discourse, these types of things accelerate uh, uh, terms like accountability, mm -hmm. uh, critical problem, uh, critical thinking, and problem solving, decision making. Now you now you put those scenarios on a um, submarine, jumping out of an airplane, um, doing some really complex physical tasks or mental tasks. Some of the things that some of our cryptologists work on and some of our intelligence community folks work on, there's high risk. So your worst day at a company is you get fired, right? I mean, that pales in comparison to a lot of the scenarios of a worst day in the training environment or the garrison environment or wartime environment with the military. So I just point to the fact that it happens all at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And what it, we think it does is it sets you on the trajectory um, very different than your peer group. So you have your origin story, military pulls from lower and middle income, right? Uh, all 50 states. You go into the military, 60 plus percent of those in the military come from someone or come from a family where there's another military member. I'm, I'm the same way. My wife, my my brother, my father, my brother-in-law. I mean, so it's it's kind of like the family business. So you go in, you serve, You're vo you, you voluntarily go in. And then the last thing I'll tell you about is the mission. And a lot of people don't understand that. So people talk, write books around sports teams or community teams where they're part of something bigger than themselves for that moment, that game, that season, that job, very, very special. And, and that's called being mission-driven. Well, the military looks to replicate that, but there's some nuances. Number one is everyone who enters, enlists, commission, whatever, you are a multi-year player from day one. So when you encounter a bad boss, you can't quit. You, you, you have to figure another way. Number two is everyone in the military knows how much everyone makes at all times. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And, there, and in very few role, roles, excuse me, very few roles early on in your career where there are cash bonuses handed out. Lastly, your first five to seven years, I would estimate, you are promoted based on a timeline. Mm -hmm. So you meet the standards, you exceed the standards, great. But you're not getting you know, cash remuneration, and you're not getting necessarily out promoted, uh, winning that one job where there's four of us, we compete for the one type of thing. No, you do what you're expected to. So I'm just saying those systems all work together to force moments, hopefully sustained moments of small teams, large teams of being part of something bigger than themselves, right? So when you carry all that forward into a commercial sector, and then what we would say later on into a startup environment, now it's up to that veteran, that former military person, or former intelligence community person to turn the page, 
they can't live like, hey, this is exactly how when I served 20 years ago, we've got to run my startup that way. And they can't go the other extreme. That was a military. We're building an AI solution for HR. I, I, they don't they don't mesh mm. where they intersect is people and decision making and critical thinking. It's the, there are similarities uh, between mm. those two systems. Let, let's talk about the differences, too, because they're significant, as you've implied. Uh, so leadership specifically in the military now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is uh, is completely. Or, or largely, let's say largely hierarchical. So, you know, chain of command, right? Um, in a business, certainly more and more what we're seeing is, I, I think it's fair to say less hierarchy, more kind of dotted lines, more horizontal uh, team building, more temporary team building um, to solve a project. So I guess in terms of leadership, if you come in, from the military where you've been in a strictly hierarchical structure. And now you're in, in a startup, it's fair to say you're in a much more freewheeling structure. You're in a much more um, make it up as you go along structure in some cases. How difficult is it for um, a veteran to adopt to that new world? It's a great question. I appreciate you probing on that. We've had some Asset allocators ask that same question because their perception of the military is that you watch, march in lines, you take orders. Mm -hmm. And what um, I would tell you for generations, um, most of the teams uh, look at the bin Laden raid, if you want to use the SEALs from a decade plus ago, the amount of things that went wrong on that mission are extraordinary. And it was already a very low probability of success for what we know publicly. Mm -hmm. um, what those leaders did on the ground was raw entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. They were chaotically solving the problem, right? But the thing that I would tell you, they're not doing it because some some commander said this and then that, that commander, right? They're not automatons. They are uh, ex exploring freedom within the framework. And we think, we think a lot of corporate teams miss this. This is what I used to do as a consultant. They try to replicate that hierarchy. And if you've ever recently briefed, which we have large financial institutions or others, you see this this, uh, the moment the next layer up talks, everybody gets quiet. And then the next person talks. But as you mentioned, that's not, you need to be flat and super transparent as a small team. But you're trying to solve the problem. The inputs are numerous, right? You can't control it. Uh, that is, there are a lot of like-on-like -like environments where highly entrepreneurial military teams in foreign countries at a young age handling very sophisticated software and hardware are real time solving the problem for what they see in a very high risk environment. So we would say, we would say that's very entrepreneurial. Um, a lot of those systems and, and hierarchies are built in corporate America and the military, I think for steady state, Hey, today, mm -hmm. tomorrow, hygiene, performance management, promotion schedules. But when you're doing the thing, um, whether that be a startup, uh, or in the military, <clears throat> or when you're down range or on a mission, whew, uh, there, there's a lot of funny stories and, you know, um, I think uh, jargon that will start slang that will start to come out, you know, you know Murphy and other type things where you, per, you know, perfect plan went like this. But the moment you, you, you set it in motion, you almost have to throw quote, the playbook out because the inputs are dynamically changing because you're human on human. The, the other side has a has a choice. They can free to move. So we think there's a lot that's similar. Um, I think to uh, another, which was embedded in your question, where I have seen folks struggle, <clears throat> former military into those systems, I think it's the, not, not struggle, 
I think it's more of a, an awakening that they play back to us. So we've had a couple founders, you know, say, hey, you know, being in, being shot at in Afghanistan is way easier than dealing with this, you know, this, this startup, you know. Are, they, uh, are they serious about that? Is that a, is that a joke? No, it's, they're joking. it's more the joking, right, that they can say military banter. But what we deduce from that is the long duration, three, four, five years, every day, even if the thing's working every day, I think any human veteran or not, that's hard. We think that's why we warn people where if you want to start a venture back startup, you better be really serious about it because it doesn't get talked as much as it needs to in the venture community, but the, the mental health deterioration amongst founders is enormous veteran or not. We just think that because of the resiliency in the background, I think they, they're, they can buffer it quite a lot better. They can last a bit longer. They can make higher decisions, uh, higher quality decisions longer, but make no mistake about it. That's why we think that 12 to 20 month mark is interesting. What we've seen first six to 12 months, you start a company, you throw up on LinkedIn, you get the business card, you get the t-shirt, maybe get a little bit of, a little bit of uh, funding. Mo most of your inputs are great job. You're the man, you're the woman. Great job. You're so bold. I'm so proud of you. Okay. Most people who start businesses aren't independently wealthy. So at some point they're going to start crossing red lines. They're going to start liquidating 401ks and savings, and maybe they have kids and spouses and whatever. Maybe like, when you get to that year mark, you're like, man, this is brutal. This is brutal. Everyone tells me no. And I never have enough resources. Again, think about the parallels from military. I never have enough resources to do the thing. So I'm constantly rubbing nickels together, sharpest, uh, sharpest pencil, um, begging, borrowing, influencing, cajoling, trying to get the resources in play. And then you get and, you, and your eyes are on that next ridge line. Wow, I really want to get over there. But then you realize I'm going to have to lily pad down into the valley. I'm going to have to go, oh my God, it's going to be so much painful. And you get to that 15 month mark, 16, 17. Now you try to raise a round. And now, you know. So I just think that for me, that is where uh, I think founders start to realize. And it's really the investor component is what Michael's the truth underneath that. He's dealing with VCs, dealing with investors half the time over that three, four, five year mark is where they wear down. Because it's, it's, it's counter to what they want to be doing. They want to be leading their team and serving their customer and solving the problem. And, and, but yet we try to tell them like, no, 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 this will command some portion of your time forever until it's done. Um, and so this is where we see that, like that, that long duration, three to five year, but we think all founders uh, battle this. Um, I just think that the uh, military side guys, I think try to compare it to their longest deployment, you know, like, oh, I was gone for 12 months or 15 months. I'm like, no, no, that's, necessar that's not necessarily like on like. Um, you, you, there, there's some intersections. So we, we've had some fun debates, I think, with some of our founders mm -hmm. around where the intersection points are. I would leave you with this. None of them say it's harder. None of them say that. It's just different. Yeah. Well, you don't have to leave me yet, Brandon. We still have a few minutes. Uh, Brandon Shelton, he's the partner and managing, uh, pardon me, founder and managing partner of TFX Capital. Um, they are devoted to veteran, veter veterans and veteran founders in particular. So let me take this somewhat theoretical discussion into the real world. You just had a meeting. You said um, when, when, the, when the rubber meets the road um, and you look at how veterans perform, this, by the way, is true. I sort of ask a variation of this question all the time. What, what is the characteristic that... Um, the successful veteran founder entrepreneur has um, that that you can put your finger on, if there is such a thing. 
Yeah, we're, we're constantly studying that, Michael. I mean, I, I have to, if I was to point to one, I was only limited to one, I would say resilience. Mm -hmm. I think, and that can come from lots of places, by the way. Um, I think immigrants, um, the ones we've worked with, uh, there's another fund that we've worked with that focuses specifically on that. The immigrant journey, the veteran journey um, is guaranteed to have hardships, generally at a younger age on average. Mm -hmm. I just think that changes a person. Um, and so I think that resilience uh, is the one thing that I think separates um, our, the, the group that we're focused on from their, maybe their peers. But my, I'd also, again, caveating, I think you can get that resilience through lots of ways. Maybe you were homeless growing up, um, immigrated to this country. Maybe you had a lot of bad things happen to you at a younger age and it was forced you to, again, grow quicker, um, mature quicker. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when you're walking into the, your startup and let's say you're on year two and you're one month of cash in the bank and you're worried about payroll and everything else, I think the vast majority of this resilient group of folks um, doesn't panic. They just try to solve the problem. Whereas I think on average, I, I think there's a lot of stress and other, other types of uh, elements that come to play that I think could cloud your decision making. So, so you, would, you would say that, or maybe another way to put that is that um, someone who's been a soldier, because we're talking about soldiers, knows that, you know, things are not always going to go well. In fact, things are often going to go very poorly. And so resilience defined as how you react in a situation where things go south um, is something they've been through. Um, and, and interestingly enough, with the stakes much higher, in other words, in the military, in an operation, you could literally die, you could cause other people to die. Uh, the worst thing that happens in a startup is you go out of business or, you know, maybe your uh, friends and family lose their money, <laughs> lose some money. But um, for a veteran, it could be your best friend dies. It could be you die. So it's it's an order of magnitude difference. So um, uh, finally, um, uh, Brandon, I wanted to ask specifically about leadership. So let's assume a certain amount of resilience, a certain amount of um, heavy responsibility at a young age. Um, what, what is, what is the difference in leadership in a startup for a veteran versus somebody who's, who's never gone through those experiences? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, we, I'll just tell you what we encourage, if that's helpful. Um, again, we're, we're investing in folks that, that grew up however they grew up, made, found, volunteered somehow into the military, officer enlisted, have left the military, worked commercially. And now they're starting the startup. Okay. So they have multiple legs to their story. Um, they're guaranteed to have come from a bigger company than they're at. Um, very few people hop from a startup and start a startup. But um, I just find ourselves encouraging some of our leaders, especially in their forties and fifties. Hey, what you did 20 years ago, 30 years ago as a E5, E6 for the military listeners, you understand what that means. Sergeant or junior officer, Lieutenant use those techniques now. Small team tactics, what's important in small team tactics, situational awareness. Everyone knows everything you know. Over-communicate when times are tough. Separate the signal from the noise. Use main efforts. We use them in the military, but they're put under pressure in a startup because what could be a priority this morning may evaporate by, like I told you, later day, but you've got to stick to this, right? You have limited bandwidth and resources. Pick. Um, use commander's intent, something that is used often in the military and us veterans talk about all the time, but what is the stated goal of uh, what we're trying to do for the next three months? What's our purpose? 
Why do we exist? What are we trying to solve, right? Because otherwise you're going to get into a hyper cycle of I'm here today to tomorrow to the next day. And it's very logical why. Backwards plan. You know that in the military. Even even a 19-year-old with no college degree is taught how to backwards plan. I have these four people. I'm being asked to go over there. I have this much materials. I need to make a decision in 60 minutes. Backwards plan. So we always encourage folks, don't, don't, I always joke that it's in a suitcase under the bed. Like pull it back out and, and remember some of those, those cycles, those motions, because they could be, they could be very useful in a four, six, seven person startup that's under massive pressure all the time. Right. And most people, customers and investors are telling you, no, like it's not going to work. No, not now. Right. Or in the investor community, passive aggressively leading you on for months. Um, but I just think that you, you've got to uh, resurrect those tools. The last thing I'll tell you is uh, in terms of difference is that that mission component, you have generally speaking, most people have served over the last 50 to 80 years. will we'll comment that there was a moment, there was a team in the military, there was a unit, something where I was, I knew I was part of something bigger than myself. It doesn't have to be combat. It was just that team, right? Um, try to replicate that with this four or five person team. Invest in these four or five people. Um, develop them like you would develop yourself. Continue developing yourself. I mean, all these things are still applicable just because you're in a venture back startup and your feedback loops are perturbed, right? Because you just have investors, maybe a board, but you're the boss and there's co-founders. Resurrect those processes where you think applicable. So do you think that in a, um, a startup that, you know, has a, has a fairly, let's say, straightforward business purpose that it's important to have a larger mission. You said to, you know, to be part of something bigger. I find myself with entrepreneurs um, almost every time saying to them, you need a bigger story. And I think we're kind of saying the same thing from, from opposite sides, you know, from different directions, because a lot of times there is a more profound story available to them, a profound mission available to them if they can just see it and articulate it. So this is something that um, I hadn't really realized about the military, except in the very broadest terms, that that it's not just having a mission, like the mission would be, you know, take uh, Baghdad. It's really having the, um, having the mission articulated and understood top to bottom, inside and out, so that the people working toward that goal are all equally informed and equally um, equally possess that it's a, it's something that they believe in as well. So that's, that seems to be one of the lessons, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we would, we would be in violent agreement on this topic. I think that it, it goes contrary to the hierarchical opinion or, you know, some people may have in the military, but that's why if you look back in the military history, the point, if you look at Napoleon, Napoleon's corporal, he wanted the orders or business plan to be so simple that the junior most person could execute it without command. Sounds like, Steve, need, sounds like Steve Jobs. Yeah, he did some of this as well. Um, but yeah. we would tell folks, uh, I'll leave it with this. We would tell folks that, hey, um, don't create, well, let me back up a step. The types of founders that we are filtering for and underwriting on their own are solving mission-driven problems. And it was something that was pointed out to us a year ago by the Impact Capital Managers Group, which remember. And we never really thought of it that way, but but that's how we're filtering. So 16 companies we've invested in as of this podcast, they're not making another app, another widget. They're not 22 years old, like whatever, figure it out. I mean, it's 
These are people with high opportunity costs. They're in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. They have generally have kids. Um, they have spouses. They're leaving well-paying jobs to go solve the thing. We we say for what we're underwriting for is you better believe it. And how do you know? How do I know you're mission-driven? Because when you're presenting to me, is your heart and your mind are they glued together as one? And that will emanate and attract investors, customers, teammates. Right? Um, look at ComSafe that we're invested in out San Diego, trying to combat toxic communication in the workplace. The founders themselves. Or the founder himself has felt this himself. He's, a, he's an African American male, even in the military, was discriminated against. He is on a mission, and he will he will not sleep. He will give up last. He will fight longest to solve the problem, right? And so, when you're working with that type of clay as an investor, like wow, now you need to help guide it because it, it, sure. it could go off the rails. A lot of all that thrust, it could go different directions. But when he's attracting talent, we'd say the same thing. Hey, the little bit of a luxury is you. You, you have a mission here. You have something bigger. So when you're attracting talent, like, look, I can't pay you X. I can pay you X minus 20%. I'm not trying to lowball you, but like, that's what I can afford. You want to come on board here and go solve that problem? You want to put the space race. You want to come here and put a man on the moon and land him safely to the earth by the end of the decade? We're doing that here. We're not yeah. digitizing this or something, making another social media app or something like that. And so again, not saying it's going to work or not, but when you find resilient former military leaders, like we're looking for that are working on those type of missions, they are uniquely skilled to get others oriented against that mission. That That is a, a great place for us to end. I, I call it sometimes getting your head and your heart going in the same direction, but uh, yeah. that's more, uh, more violent agreement. And um, Brandon Shelton, he's the um, founder and managing partner of TFX Capital. How can people find you, Brandon? Sure. They, uh, uh, well, we're actively fundraising, of course, but uh, if you're an allocator, B Shelton, B-S-H-E-L-T-O-N at tfxcap.com. Um, same thing if you're a founder and you feather a thesis, reach out. You can hit me on LinkedIn, um, you know, whatever, whatever's needed, uh, or, or you can come through our website, tfxcap.com. And uh, though it goes without saying, we want to thank you for all you've done for our country, for the United States, and um, that sort of ipso facto what you're doing is um, is a great thing and anything any of us can do to, to truly help veterans, not just pay lip service to it, is a great thing. And I'm, I'm sure you get tremendous rewards from that all the time. Uh, that is- oh, you It was my honor. That is a mission. Thanks again, uh, Brandon. This is The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. We'll be back with more podcasts before you know it.